Hey guys, welcome to episode number 47 of the Rugby Strength Coach podcast. This is Keir from Rugby Strength Coach. In today's episode, you're going to hear from Mike Guadango, who is the owner and operator of Freak Strength, which is a training facility based in New Jersey in the USA. If the name rings a bell, that is because most strength coaches in the world have probably heard of Mike Guadango through uh, initially being an athlete with DeFranco's training. He featured in a very, very famous box jump video, I believe it was about seven, eight years ago, where he was crazy explosive, crazy power, a supreme physical athlete as a baseball player who since transitioned to become a coach and he spent, I believe it was seven years uh, at DeFranco's training where he kind of made his name and came up as a coach. I actually met Mike in person five years ago at a seminar that he co-presented at with uh, James Smith, who obviously has featured on this podcast numerous times. Me and my intern at the time, Sam Portland, another guest on this podcast, we went up to the seminar in Manchester. Mike's presentations really struck a chord with me. He was a bit more of a, a mortal than James. Really good application of some quite complex ideas. And that seminar has stuck with me. And it's been a pleasure all these years later to, to reconnect with Mike and invite him onto the podcast. So obviously, to begin with, we talked about how he became a strength and conditioning coach, what caused him to transition away from being a baseball athlete and what he learned coming up as a, both an athlete and a coach at DeFranco's training in Jersey. We also talked about his early exposure to both Buddy Morris and James Smith at the University of Pittsburgh and some of the key lessons that he learned from both of those guys. We discuss his current work with a lot of NFL athletes, most notably Chris Hogan of the New England Patriots, how he approaches their training uh, to get them ready for in-season, what kind of work he's doing to complement what they already do with their pro clubs. And it will surprise you. It's actually not the sexy stuff. It's a ton of low-level uh, rehabilitation, uh, restoration and recovery work to make sure that they're able to get through the season. We discuss the high-low progression uh, how he organizes the training week, but then also how that's going to progress from week to week when he gets his NFL guys in the offseason. We flip back and forth throughout the conversation, but a big topic that keeps coming up again and again is injury prevention or, or risk management and rehabilitation of those injuries and, and getting into the details of what coaches need to do and need to understand to manage the risk of injuries in their athletes and re-injuries. We also dived into some quite technical ideas on short to long progression versus long to short and how this relates to specialized physical preparation in team sports like rugby and American football, specifically non-locomotive. Uh, that means not running. The running is actually relatively easy to do because it's most people just do a straight steal of Charlie Francis's short to long or long to short progression. And for anyone wanting to learn about this, I would advise them to seek out Charlie Francis's uh, resources. However, the discussion with Mike on non-locomotive SPP was quite illuminating and I've taken away some ideas to use with my own athletes. Now, if you've enjoyed this podcast and you want to check out more information like it, be sure to check out the Rugby Strength Coach community. This is an exclusive members website that I've created just for coaches and it offers a unique combination of video lectures, online discussion and career advice that's going to help you to take your coaching career to the next level. Each month we offer a 60 minute video lecture from a strength and conditioning coach working at the elite or professional level of sport on a topic that is dear to their heart. This is not just the stuff that you get taught that matters when you do your accreditation, your UKSCA or your degree. This is the stuff that keeps elite level coaches up at night that really matters in their job in the real world. We've got presentations from guys that work in the NFL, professional soccer, elite level track and field, uh, the NRL in Australia and New Zealand, international rugby, professional cycling, the list goes on. We have over 30 hours of video lectures and the list is growing all the time and you will get access to all of these when you sign up to become a member of the Rugby Strength Coach community. Not only this, but you're going to get access to the online discussion forum. We have hundreds of members from all over the world working at the very, very top of the game all the way down to novice coaches. Here, you're going to be able to discuss every strength and conditioning topic under the sun to ask questions and get answers and share resources. Lastly, we also offer a special area of the forum dedicated to career development. Here, you're going to be able to get advice from coaches who have been there, done it, brought the t-shirt and worked at the highest level of the industry. Here, you're going to get advice on all the things you need to do to build the career that you want, including networking, CV writing, interview prep, and climbing the ladder. So if that sounds good to you and you'd like to try it out, just go to rugbystrengthcoach.com members and enter the code word trial. This is going to allow you to sign up for 24 hours at the price of just one pound. If you like it, keep it and you can sign up to become a regular member. If you don't, 
just get in contact with us, cancel it. There's no strings attached. If you don't like it and it's not for you, no problem. But for now, sit back and enjoy the podcast. Mike, how's it going? Ah, dude, thank you so much for having me, bro. I really appreciate being on this. This is pretty sweet. The pleasure is mine. And um, I think this is episode number 46, but I think you're the first fully-fledged internet celebrity to be on uh, the podcast as you are <laughs> b- before brett Contreras was the glute guy you were the box jump guy so uh, if, if people haven't heard of you who are you and, and what do you do well i uh i'm a coach in the u.s now i have my well a coach i'm a personal trainer i'm a glorified personal trainer um i own a gym the name of the gym is freak strength we train youth athletes all the way up to professional level athletes of any sport uh it's it's physical preparation whether and and you could get in arguments with well, it wouldn't be much of an argument you could get in discussions with james about this he doesn't even like physical preparation anymore he he's, uh, he's just a sport consultant right yes yeah so he goes well no it's sport preparation it's not even physical because it's it, he feels like physical the term physical preparation kind of diminishes what it is that we do yeah, it, it, it shows that we're kind of incapable of any technical, tactical schemes or anything or, or development. Um, it's smart, too. It's smart, too, because you can't be told to stay in your lane when you, you've given yourself the whole highway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, um, I, I'm, I don't face as as many issues with that because, I mean, everyone thinks that I'm this genius because of, well, I shouldn't, everyone thinks that I know more than I do probably because of uh, Chris Hogan's development. So they think I I get a little more leeway because of that. So if coaches, coaches and I will have conversations and they'll actually listen. I won't be just a typical strength guy. Yeah. Just, just, just because of uh, literally because of Hogan's development and everything that we've done with him. But other than that, the, the stay in your lane, it's, I've I've seen it, man. It it sucks so much. It sucks so much. <laughs> the, the amount the amount of consideration that everyone is given from this industry, it, it's it's really a shame, because none of the over none of the coaches really know anything about any real progression. I mean, realistically, a strength coach I think would make one of the better coaches because they know how to progress athletes. They whether it's periodization or whatever the hell you want to call it, um, they they I feel like they have a better idea on overload than anyone else because we're we're taught it these these coaches aren't taught anything so how do they know how to really progress an athlete from you know like a short to long approach in anything you know it's it's the part whole approach that with with any kind of coaching they they get it because of oh this is kind of how it worked for me rather than learning how to do it learning the science behind stuff a lot of these coaches just aren't science-based and it, it really screws so much shit up. Yeah, man. I always think it's weird as well. Like a lot of strength coaches, this is going to make me sound like a dick to, to sport coaches, but I would say the typical strength coach understands more about what the technical sport coach does than the typical sport coach knows about strength and conditioning oh, or, or, or physical preparation. So it's, it can be quite frustrating sometimes. Totally. Totally. And I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to say a lot of strength coaches, but there are qualified strength coaches out there that know more than the positional coaches about their positions without knowing any of the tactical aspect behind it. Just because we know proper positioning, we know orthopedic structure, you know, what, what's, what's safe, what's not. So we know it's going to be optimal just by getting these people in the right positions. I mean, I do, I do so much work with, with all my skill guys, like a wide receivers, for instance, <laughs> Running backs. I've never played football. I I I I fucking hate watching sports. I barely watch these things. I, I watch my guys move, and if something looks efficient, we 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 or inefficient, we we try to fix it from there. But it's it's based off of pretty universal patterns that these coaches are completely unaware of. And then when I make these changes, these corrections, coaches go, "Oh yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense." Like, well, if it makes perfect sense, why the fuck didn't you think of it? <laughs> they're, they're probably uh too busy laboring under the idea that it you know it's more about adding pounds to their bench press or uh putting another inch on the vert maybe well uh, even these sport coaches they the their vernacular you know the, the the way that they they talk to these kids 
they don't know what it is that they're trying to explain. They don't know the, <laughs> they don't have the requisite information to be able to describe the, the drill that they want. So I, I have this guy, one of my receivers, a professional receiver training with me, and he starts doing a lot of unnecessary movement. I said, well, what are you doing? He says, oh, my receivers coach told me to put a little dookie in it. I said, what the? <laughs> So what the fuck does that mean? Put a little dookie in it? How do you, if an alien lands on planet Earth, and let's say he has a grasp of football from a physics standpoint, how are you going to explain dookie? How are you, how are you going to explain any of this stuff to this person, to, to this being, with, with them to fully understand it? You're going to say, oh, just put a little dookie in it. You know that. Like, that's, it, it's, it's ridiculous to me. That's, that's, that's the problem with the industry is there's no, there's no, real language being used it's all just a bunch of slang well let, let's let's start with your start in the industry you, you, <laughs> you were initially a baseball athlete collegiate baseball athlete became internet famous because you were a defranco's athlete and you had crazy explosive power what prompted you to make that transition to becoming a, a initially a strength and conditioning coach and now what you would term a physical preparation coach um I always was obsessed with being jacked. So when I when I was younger, I mean, I used to watch all the Rocky videos, all, all anything with you know Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger. I always loved the the jack dude. I always wanted to be jacked. I remember just you know running. My mom put on a Rocky song when I was I don't know like six years old or something, or five years old when we were down the shore at like uh, that that means down the beach. The famous Jersey, Jersey Shore. The the famous when we were. <laughs> When we were down the Jersey Shore, Jackson Town, uh, <laughs> and she put it on in the middle of the night or something got a little later, like when we were all messing around, and I just couldn't help myself but just start sprinting back and forth because I got so juiced up. So I mean, it's been in my blood this whole time just to be a meathead. Um, <laughs> and then you know, when I was younger, whether I was wrestling, playing baseball, I, I remember there's a, a little bit of time when I wanted to be. A musician. I wanted to go to music school. My father wouldn't let me. Um, <laughs> it was because it's just not, you know, that's that's not a realistic thing for someone like me. And he saw that a mile away. But it's no matter what I did, I wanted to be the most jacked person doing it. So it was it, that was always the underlying thing for me. So I started off doing started doing baseball uh, through college, and I was always I I was probably one of the strongest guys on the field, no matter what team I played for. And I got so fascinated by this. And because I lifted so much fucking weight all the time, I got injured all the fucking time. Really? So I started, oh, all the time. I mean, my sophomore year of college, uh, I, I got All-American with blowing out my back. I had, I had biceps tendonitis in my shoulder, and I could barely lift my arm up. It was excruciating. And I herniated a disc. Uh, developed a bulging disc and a degenerative disc in the same season, three different discs. In your early 20s? I, <laughs> when I was 21. Dude, that's, that's not good, hey? Yeah, it was, it, I was crippled. And I, I was in so much physical therapy. I was, I was going to the chiropractor. I was going to physical therapist. I was going, trying to do a massage therapist, going to the, the uh, athletic trainers. I was doing so much shit. Oh, and I got pneumonia that, 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 same, that same exact season. Um, everything hit me all at once and I was always fascinated by this, but that really put everything into hyperdrive. You know, it was, uh, uh, how am I going to prevent this from ever happening again? Like why, why did I literally have a total system shutdown and yeah. the, the preparation that I did, it supported me through that, but it also caused that. I mean, what, what person do you know can blow out their back, blow out their shoulder, get pneumonia and still perform with the top athletes in the country at, at their level, you know? So it's everything that I did helped me out, but everything I did completely killed me. So there's, there has to be that balance. So I, from, from, from then on, it was, it was an obsession to really figure out what the best ways to do things were. And I couldn't, because that year I couldn't squat for a year and a half. Yeah. I couldn't, couldn't load anything on my back. So from there, you know, I, I, I kept playing. I finished my college career. My senior year, I ended up needing shoulder surgery. And um, so, is it basically like you you get into the end of the four year program, and it's apparent that you know the pros are not going to happen? For example, you know, I had I had the opportunity. 
Okay. But, uh, I I saw the writing on the wall. It was I mean even if even if I had done it and and done real well at it, the the shelf life wasn't there. And I mean it's assuming that I could recover from all these injuries. Yeah. It, you know they they didn't know much about how injured I was because I kept it under wraps. But it was uh, I I saw the writing on the wall, and my passion was more was was less with sports and more for for the training. So I. From there, I got my first job, um, my first full-time job working for, for DeFranco. I had been working for Joe throughout college part-time. And then once I graduated, I said, I put it, you know, that's all, all my eggs into the DeFranco basket. That's what I wanted to do. And I was, I was content with doing that for a very long time. How, how did you come to, to meet James Smith and Buddy Morris? Because they were at Pitt at the time, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I emailed Buddy because I – DeFranco spoke so highly of Buddy. He loved Buddy. That was one coach that Joe, no matter what happens, Joe always respected Buddy uh, because it's with, you with know, good reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, West Side type guy, uh, badass, old school meathead, loves lifting heavy shit and stuff. I, he's and and so so smart. And he was, I mean, he's father time of the industry. He was he was one of the first strength coaches ever. That's. Uh, how can you not respect a guy like that? You know, walks the walk. It's he's 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 an awesome dude. So I emailed him because I read all his stuff on Elite. I was like, yeah, I want to intern with this guy. So in order to graduate, I needed an internship, um, and I wanted to do something different. I could have had Joe write something on a piece of paper saying he interned for me, um, but I I I wanted to do something different and I wanted to learn. I you know I've 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 always been pretty curious by nature and I've always wanted to just if I do something I have to be the best at it no matter what. D did it dawn so, on you at the time that you were interning for you know two of the best coaches in the world <laughs> at, at that time or were you, were you were you kind of lucky in that regard as well? No, um, I had I had no idea with Buddy and James that I, I knew Buddy was one of the best coaches in the world. Yeah, I didn't know. You know, I didn't know who the hell James was. I didn't care. Uh, I so the email is I'm I'm so embarrassed by it. Uh, I emailed Buddy. I said, Hey, you know, I want an internship, and I didn't even have to say who I was. They gave me an internship. It didn't matter, uh, or who I knew. And he said, All right, well, refer to James. James will set everything up. He's my assistant. So I said to James, I was like, hey, listen, you know, I don't want to waste any time. I want to intern for Buddy. Is there any specific internship where I could just be with Buddy, be with him the whole time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely shit on James, you know? And because all, all I knew about James was he was on Elite FTS writing as the thinker, and he's, you know, he's the Russian nerd. I didn't want to deal with that guy. Like, he he spoke like the architect from The Matrix, and I, I, I couldn't understand <laughs> that guy. I, you know, it was... I even wrote in a condescending question to James one time, like, why do you speak like this guy? You know, and I, I put a YouTube clip of the Matrix, like, just speak so we understand. Um, <laughs> and this that was when I was younger, just busting balls. So James was really, really nice, as he is. You know, he's, he's such a sweetheart. And he emailed me back. He said, oh, we don't do it like that, but come on in. We'll, we'll set it all up. So I drive out to Pitt, and my first conversation, my first conversation was with James he uh sat me down for about two or three hours and just very eloquently motherfucked me up and down and <laughs> let me know let me know exactly how much I didn't know and I couldn't I couldn't comprehend a word that this guy was saying he was speaking over my head it wasn't deliberate it was just how he spoke and I was so overwhelmed I almost got in the car and drove home it was a six-hour drive I almost I almost drove home. I was so embarrassed. I was so humiliated. I was so overwhelmed. So I, I had the balls to stay there the whole day. Um, I came back the next day, and he's sitting there. He's talking to another dude, and they're they're speaking the same friggin' language. I was so I was like, oh oh my goodness. The guy guy turned out to be Alan De Janeiro, who is another another one of Buddy's former interns, athletic trainer. He's a you know athletic or no, he's a strength coach for Carnegie Mellon. Um, he's, he's so, so smart and him and James are going, going back and forth. And I was so overwhelmed by them because that's, it, you know, when you're exposed to that on a routine basis, it's, that's, that's your baseline, you know, and buddy walks in. I said, Oh, here he is. Here's the legend. He goes, you're DeFranco's guy. 
I see. He goes, you do too much fucking max effort work. And then he walked away. <laughs> I, was like, oh. I was like, oh, no, I fucking pissed him off already. I don't even know what I did. <laughs> so, so after that, um, I, I built such a good rapport with those two guys. I mean, they're, I, I call them for anything and everything. You know, I'll call James about emotional stress. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't even have to be in regards to training. The guy's so brilliant. We'll we'll do psychological consulting, and he's that's, that's the bulk he, of his business now, right? He's yeah. I mean, he's 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 above and beyond everyone, man. He really is, and I I do everything I can to try to support this dude because he's like a starving artist. He's he's so set in his principles mm. that that he refuses to conform because everyone. I mean, it's he's surrounded by monkeys throwing shit. I I admire it. Like, I mean, we said off the air, like he's, he's not even interested in playing the game and you know what? I admire it. I, I do. But at, at some point, like he should be so much bigger than he is. And because of his refusal, he's, he's going to be one of those people that, you know, 50 years after he's dead, they're still trying to, it's going to be like a Charlie Francis. They're still trying to figure out some of the shit that he did. Yeah. You know, it's he's he's one of the best he really is i i have nothing but amazing things to say about him and and buddy too so i mean my internship with them changed my life absolutely changed my life uh changed changed my training it 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 changed it changed the way i go about coaching people it was absolutely everything to me i i i am so grateful for that internship It, it it really was one of the best things i've ever done in my life so, so what what do those changes look like to to how you operate as a coach how do you because I've, I've written down a quote here from the seminar that you presented that that i attended in 2012 which was my guys got strong as hell but they still sucked at sports so what do you have to do differently as a coach to take strong guys and make sure they actually don't suck at sports the most important thing to understand is that the sport isn't bench pressing and that the sport isn't cleaning it's not squatting that isn't the sport those are tools that you utilize that to to help improve the sport that you think will help improve the sport and it's 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 just not the case it's very it's it's very misinterpreted um it's it's misunderstood big time the 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 biggest thing, <laughs> the biggest thing to, to, to really grasp is in order to get better at your sport, you need to play your sport. You need to become efficient at moving and, and become uh, a, good, a good performer at your sport. So if squatting is the sport, then you need to squat. If benching is the sport, then you need to bench press. If cleaning is the sport, then you need to clean. If football is the sport, then you need to football. You know, like that's, yeah, yeah. that's all, that's all that comes down to it. So what are the tasks at hand? You need to identify the tasks associated with that sport. And then you need to, it's, you break it down from there. How often is someone, does, does a player have someone on their back and they have to squat them in any sport? You know, like the, the closest thing to that would be a scrum, but it's more, well, it's more horizontal, right? And, and it's completely isometric in nature. <laughs> yeah. So it's. The, the, we, we miss, we, we, we screw up the application of, of the fifth, of the exercise selection for physical preparation. You know, it's, it's not about strength. It's not about speed. It's not about flexibility. It's not about stability. It's about everything. It's about the sport. So what things, what, what abilities are the, the, most important things that you need to worry about for enhancing that sport and and not enough people identify it because in our job in our field we need to justify how well we do and by to justify we need to quantify and we point to the things that are easy to quantify and easy to improve exactly so it's like hey listen their, their squat went up 50 pounds i did my fucking job i'm the strength guy so we pigeonhole ourselves for protection you know it's 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 really a shame and that's why that's why i'm doing everything i can now to really quantify things in a manner 
that no one else is doing so I can justify what it is that I'm doing. So I, I'm, I'm looking at getting some different different uh, testing uh, testing um, machines or, or, or the, the, the 1080 Sprint. Have you heard of that? Oh, yeah. I wish I could afford one. So I'm looking at getting that. Cameron, Cameron Joss uh, came over to the gym a couple of weeks ago. He's been he's he's been fortunate enough to to get one for for uh, testing testing purposes for months at a clip. Like they just let him screw around with it. Yeah. And he told me he brought it over to the gym and he gave me all the benefits of it and I I really like it. But it, it quantifies things in a way that I know what I'm seeing. You know, but because I don't have force plates, I, I can't quantify this stuff. This this really helps me measure the, you know, the Charlie Francis, if it don't look right, it don't fly right sort of thing. Well, this isn't flying right, and it's detecting why it's not flying right. So even if there's like the slightest limp, it will detect uh, a, a difference in force between the right and the left foot. It's it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, finding finding things like that really helps separate you because it's it's all about movement with movement-based sports. So you need to you need to really really understand that for everything and that's in order to really justify what it is that we do or what we're trying to do we need to quantify it and it's just going to cost twenty thousand dollars to fucking quantify it that's it man and as well i think it's it's being able to differentiate between what an athlete did and why they did what they did so you you mm -hmm. can have two very different athletes achieve the same outcome on a, on a test and without the ability to dig down deeper and understand why they did it, you're not necessarily going to understand their needs and be able to to meet those needs with the training program. Yeah, you know, like a greyhound yeah. versus a a bulldog in terms of in terms of sprinters, for example. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. what does what does a weekly setup look like for your for your NFL guys? You, you train a lot of NFL guys uh, in the off season, right? Yeah. Yes. What what, what does the weekly setup look like? Well, it that's that's predicated on the the time of year, obviously. Uh, it's it, we'll we'll go a Monday through Friday. We'll go five days a week. Yeah. The weekends are tough because a lot of my NFL guys have families or they're traveling a long distance, and you know, give them two days off. The weekend is fine. They they've been getting their asses kicked all year. Uh -huh. So I I try to work. My goal is as much work as humanly possible. Uh, that with within safety. You know, with, so we with want the keep... quality of those outputs, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. My 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 goal is to really get these guys moving properly, and we need to do as much work as we can. My guys will be in with me sometimes for four hours. Yeah. And we won't do double sessions because they live so far away that we don't really have the luxury of that. And these guys are so messed up that they'll they have to do mobility and flexibility work, different fascial work for an hour before i even have them start a warm-up so they it's, they do four hours on top of that hour of prep no 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 that hour of oh prep is, okay okay so is the is the cumulative you know so it's they'll they'll do the hour of prep work before their warm-up because i mean football's a brutal sport it sucks these guys you could do everything perfectly you could have the best training program in the world and some asshole can put a helmet to your knee and you know shit just hit the fan and there's nothing you could do about it you know it's there's there's unavoidable issues i i really hate it it's uh it's it's so dangerous and it's so counterproductive to everything that we do but i mean it's it's fuck it's fun oh, though <laughs> yeah yeah dude i get so juiced up at practices i get so amped up it, but it's it's scary because i mean you, you get someone that tackles you the wrong way at the wrong angle and you blow out a need despite your preparation mm. it doesn't matter it's 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 a it's a gladiator sport it's a brutal sport i remember watching a game last year and a guy took a helmet to the chest like at full speed by someone who hits really hard and i had to turn off the game i said he just stopped his heart this this guy's dead on the field he just stopped his heart there's no way that didn't stop his heart <laughs> yeah. and he went back in like he shook it off he went back in he's like oh i'm okay turns out he punctured his lung wow yeah, it's, it's the velocities, the force, the aggression. You can't play football and be a soft person. Not at not so the is, NFL. Is a lot of what you do, before you even think about performance, you're looking at making guys feel right, making sure they feel okay, and making sure they can actually get through the work. Exactly. 
that's first and foremost is movement. You know, you, you need to move better. These, none of these guys move well because they're so restricted because they have so many old injuries. It's, uh, it's, it's a shame because these guys are the best movers and the best compensators on earth. There is, these are the best athletes in the world or that, are, that are in the NFL. These guys that you see, they're incredible. They're the top 1% of the 1%. Yeah. They're phenomenal and they're phenomenal compensators. I have a guy that limps. He's 30 years old. He's, he's in He already, uh, he messed up both his ankles. His hips are kind of are, you know, they're, they're on their way out. He herniated a disc last season. Uh, he's, he's on his way. He has a twin brother who had a sports hernia. He's on his way to have a sports hernia, regardless of what it is that we do. We're going to try to prevent everything that we can, but I mean, everything, everything's just in line there. He runs with a limp and it's a four, three forty. He ran a fully electric four, four with barely training. That's crazy. He's incredible. And it's with a limp because he's the world's, he's, he's the world's best compensator. They're, these guys are incredible. Their outputs, they, most of these guys could probably be sprinters. You know, they're Yeah, they're I heard so, that was uh, the, the worst thing to happen to American track and field was the NFL. Yeah. Dude, these guys, you need to see them. And there are people that are 265 pounds running four fours. Imagine that size coming at you. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. They're they're phenomenal athletes, they're phenomenal movers. It's they're 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 majestic. It's so cool. So cool, but they're all so beat up. And for me to they're already powerful. How much more power do they need? You know, they're already so it's for me to put power on or speed onto a system that's already dysfunctional. Yeah. That's, that's, that's you know the gray cook. You don't put fitness on dysfunction. Okay, I never heard him say that, but that that sounds perfect. Yeah, that sounds that's that's everything that I'm talking about because all you're doing is you're you're putting extra horsepower on a car that has no brakes. Yeah, you know it's or or a shitty suspension, whatever it is. It's you're just asking for an injury. So I don't care with any of my guys. I don't care about power. I don't care about speed. I don't care about strength. I care about movement efficiency. Because if they become more efficient in movement, then they're going to be faster. Then they're going to be stronger. They're byproducts, right? Exactly. And to top that off, because they're going to be moving faster, the forces associated with faster movement are going to enhance strength and speed anyway. So it's a win-win. So is, is that the Charlie Francis, speed improves weights, but weights don't improve speed? Exactly. Exactly. And people think I'm... People think I'm fucking crazy when I say this stuff because I just don't give a shit about strength work. Well, here's, here's one care. for you, right? I've got a guy. He he kind of had a come to Jesus moment last year. Before then, he was, I want to increase my wonder at max. I want to increase my wonder at max. And um, we had a lot of discussions last year about submaximal strength work. And uh, he went off, did some testing, and he did his, his best ever performance in the fitness test. And he also bench pressed a lifetime personal best, which wasn't necessarily the goal. So uh, he, he kind of bought into that. And um, we, we did a force velocity profile on his vertical jump just to understand what kind of strength quality he's in, he might need to focus on a bit more than, than others. And it came up that he was uh, force deficient, even though he lifted a lot of weights. So what we did was we, we auto-regulated his, his power work. We set him in um, strength speed velocities of 0.72 to 1 meter per second uh, mean velocity. And we didn't do any maximal strength work. All he did was that work. And this past weekend, lifetime personal best in the squat. And I think, yep. like you said, it's, it's the quality. It's the, the targeted approach. And if you're doing the right things as well, the, the performance is the byproduct Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and no one, I don't know why I, I really don't, maybe because it's just not sexy, but no one, no one sees it and no one pays attention to it. There's, there's very, very few people that really give a shit about the performance and, and performance in the right way. And I'm not talking like, Oh, let's do some stupid fucking ladder drills, like yeah. the actual, the actual movement prep. You know, it's, if, if someone, if someone is, is restricted, actually a, a perfect example uh, is is shoulder restrictions, right? So if you have someone in a forward head posture, 
and they're kyphotic. So their scaps are protracted, right? Yeah. And you try to lift their arms, uh, their, their shoulders into flexion, reach up as high as they can. They're, they're going to be restricted. Yeah. If you, if you retract the scaps and, 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 and tuck your chin and reach up, all of a sudden you get an extra 10, 15 degrees. I didn't do anything except enhance movement. And not only is that person stronger from that position, but they're also more mobile. So movement efficiency is everywhere. And that's even someone with healthy shoulders. If you're in a disadvantageous position, you're not going to produce force. You're not going to have good range of motion. So we get you into a more advantageous position, a better quality position, then now you you are stronger as a result of good movement. Are you, you know, doing you're this able as a, a screen-based approach? Or are you going off the eye? Or is it like a general template for all your guys? You know, it's, it's a problem that I have that I can't, because I'm not intelligent enough to figure out a way to quantify these things, and I'm certainly not organized enough to do it. Yeah. So I don't have a traditional screen. I don't. I don't use any movement screens. Well, I look ev- at every rep is a screen, right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's it's not. I, I I wish I could quantify. You know, the FMS people want to give it a lot of shit, and I refuse to use it. But I like it, man. It just tells you the cost of what you're doing. Exactly. You know, so it it's it's something that you can quantify. You know, it's it's important and and. It's a good stepping stone to where we need to be. It's it, what was it? It was probably the first, the first universal uh, test that you that you can that you could use on everyone um, in a team setting. It's practical, but it's I have no way to quantify what it is that I see. I look and I'll go my 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 screen my movement screen is from the ground up. You know we'll we'll start we'll start lying down. You'll start lying down and I'll, I'll test range of motion passively. And then I'll see you move and I'll watch everything from there. If I see a faulty pattern all the way up the chain, that's I, I try to see where it stems from just from watching people move. And then we address it from there. But it's really I mean, anyone that tells you anything's more than guess and check. They're full of shit. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> so I, really, really, that's all we do is I try to come up with really, really good guesses based on the, the data that I've collected not just from that person, but over the years, you know, we're humans, we're 99.99999% the same. So, I mean, it's, it's reasonable to assume that, especially if these people are playing similar sports, that they would have real similar injuries and similar underlying injuries, you know? So it's, it's all about collecting as much data as you can. And unfortunately, I'm not clever enough to quantify it at this point. And once I do, then it'll make things a lot easier. Do you have a, a generalized approach to how you solve those problems? So for example, uh, in, inhibit overactive tissues, uh, lengthen them, uh, try and switch on, for want of a better word, ina- uh, so inactive tissues, and then you know work through a full range of movement, and then try and reprogram that that uh, that movement pattern, for example. Yes, yes. So the 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 most important thing to to understand is I I got really overwhelmed with this when I was younger because I, I saw, I heard like a lot of buzzwords with, with things and it, it really threw me for a loop. So I didn't know how to do it. Someone, someone said to me, Oh, well you need to, you need to be able to deactivate this muscle in order for this muscle to activate. I said, how the, I don't understand how do you deactivate a muscle? I, it, it was, yeah. <laughs> it, it, I, I, I got really frustrated by it and I got overwhelmed and I started reading all this stuff and I just went in a huge circle. And the bottom line is, that doesn't fucking exist. So there, there are hyperactive muscles. There are underactive muscles and, and the word is relax or recruit, you yeah. know? So to, to understand that is, is first and foremost. So what the underlying issue is with each muscle, you need to define it or each movement. And, and I was talking to an athletic trainer who's been doing it for 30 years and a physical therapist that's been doing it for 30 years last night we went out to dinner and we were talking and I said to them I said you know I don't even give a shit what muscle it is anymore and they looked at me cross-eyed what, what do you mean I say it's it, it's irrelevant the name of the muscle the action of the muscle all, all the it, 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 it's almost irrelevant because the movement what movement hurts? It's not the, it, does the contraction hurt? Does this hurt? No. What movement hurts when... Your, your brain doesn't care what muscle it is. 
Exactly. It just it, it, it hurts, right? Exactly. So how are we going to address this faulty movement pattern? It doesn't matter. And, and it, especially since everything in our body is covered in fascia, you know, so there's there's skin and then there's skin underneath the skin, then skin underneath that skin. And then finally, if you get deep enough, you get to muscles. So there's all these different layers that are irritated. Even if you have if, if you have a scab on the bottom of your foot, that's going to interfere and cause a compensation issue. It's going to cause a compensation pattern. So that's superficial. That has nothing to do with the muscle. All of a sudden, the scab heals and the limp goes away. So it, it doesn't matter. And and the you know the the left hip was tight because of the right the the scab on the right foot because the left foot had to do all the compensation. So it all this skin, all these cells interact with each other. So it doesn't matter whether it's epithelial or cardiac or it, it doesn't matter because it's 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 a continuum you know it's it's like the energy system everything's working together so for me to be as close-minded as to segregate these things rather than looking at it holistically it's 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 irresponsible so now where is the area that is the issue and how are we going to improve the movement of that area that's the biggest thing to understand um so you look at a dysfunctional shoulder. One of, let's say your rotator cuff is jacked up. One of the telltale signs is a hyperactive trap, right? So hyperactive trap, it, it, it shrugs up. And why is it doing that? Because it's creating a mechanical efficiency where there's inefficiency. The job of the rotator cuff is to stabilize the humeral head and the glenohumeral fossa, stabilize the, the shoulder, right? That's the job of the rotator cuff. So it doesn't clunk around. Uh, when there's dysfunction going on the trap will do it for it (laughs) exactly the the trap the trap won't stabilize but the trap will cause an elevation of the scapula and that scapula elevation will create space to prevent excess clunking that's what it's doing it's stopping it from hitting too many different processes but it doesn't help with stabilization now the biceps has to take over so we wonder why people get elbow tendonitis when their shoulder is all jacked up well, that's why, because the bicep is doing too much stabilization when it, that wasn't its primary job, mm-hmm. you know? So, th- but it doesn't matter if it's the biceps or not. It doesn't matter if it's a coracobrachialis. It doesn't matter if it's a radiobrachialis. It doesn't matter if it's triceps or supraspinatus or it, 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 none of that matters. It matter. What matters is how are we going to get this movement better? That's, that's the biggest thing to understand. And, and, and not enough people are grasping that too many people are obsessed with you know, uh, sexy exercises or, or sexy words. And, and I, I, I can't keep up with these guys. I mean, there's so many more people out there, so many people that know way more than me on, on different terms. I don't know what the hell they're saying, but yet we're on the same page with absolutely everything in regards to rehabilitation or in regards to sprint training or in regards to any kind of movement. You know, it doesn't, I, I think we're taking a lot of the wrong approaches to, to so many different things. And we're, we're really making things a lot more complex than they are. It's like, the difference between all these different soft tissue techniques, right? Yet you have the the pin and stretch. You have the massage with a butter knife. You have you have the massage with all these all these different things. And the bottom line is James James said it perfectly. He says, Mike, it's all about pressure. You, all you're so doing is you, manipulating the central nervous system, right? It, manipulating anything, exactly. Yeah. You're just providing some kind of input to the CNS to to manipulate the output. Yep, and yeah. and you're. You're using all these tools for massage as a way to inflict some kind of different pressure, imp- applied some, some different pressure. That's all that matters is the concept of pressure. He says everything just goes back to, goes back to physics. You know, we, wanna, we really want to overcomplicate so many different things, but it's really simple. And, and, and it's, it's, really, it's, it's putting a big clusterfuck in this entire industry. <laughs> I'm just switching stuff up real quick. Um, within your program, you do a ton of. Well, if you if you were to look at, you know, the box jump guy, I know this is like ten years ago, but you 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 look at athletic performance like that, and you think, fucking hell, this guy must be maxing out every day doing all this stuff. But if you look at what you're actually doing at Freak Strength, you're doing a ton of GPP, a ton of capacity work a ton of foot exercises, hip exercises. Can you talk about 
what you do within that kind of stuff and and why it is so useful for example to operate at 30 to 40 percent of one rm and how how that's actually uh, gonna enable you to increase max outputs because to a lot of people that's going to be quite counterintuitive yeah uh it's it's all about it's all about improving quality of movement you know so it's you don't need to i mean when you have a truck towing at maximal capacity chances are it's going to do some damage to that truck yeah meantime meantime you could you could put you know eight people in the in the back of the pickup and have them drive around all day long it's not an issue because that's that's a submaximal capacity so with machinery machinery it's less forgiving than than the human organism the human body is a very plastic thing that's why strength conditioning coaches don't get sued yeah they should doctors doctors get sued because there's more mechanical work going on it's there's there's less plastic adaptation you know it's the the strength conditioning coaches we get away with we get away with fucking murder it's so to so to literally at some colleges <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 disgusting it's a shame and it's it makes a lot of things that we do uh seem not worthwhile you know it, there, there are so many times where i see these guys i'm like i'm just in the wrong industry there's too many monkeys throwing shit everywhere um but to to understand that the human body is forgiving it, it you don't take advantage of that right you need to keep that in the back of your head well if it's forgiving then how am i going to do my best not to offend it right rather than offending it routinely and asking for forgiveness just don't fucking offend it like, whereas if, like being on your best manners at someone's house <laughs> which i'm actually surprised despite my language i'm surprisingly good at yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> um it's to, to if you if you have a piece of glass, you know how unforgiving that piece of glass is. Yeah. Right. If you drop it, it shatters. Well, if you drop a human on their head, they get a concussion. But in time, they'll heal. Well, fuck it. They're going to heal anyway. Let's just beat the shit out of them. So I keep I keep that idea in the back of my head that, listen, yeah, we're 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 less fragile. Or we're, we're significantly less fragile than glass. But. If I were to treat you as respectfully as I would a piece of glass or or something delicate, then I wonder how you're gonna how you're going to ad adapt. You know, Buddy mm. Buddy had a quote. I forget who he quoted. Um, he said, "My main my main concern is overtraining. If you undertrain, I can fix that. If you overtrain, we need to stop. So if I undertrain you." I'm not doing a disservice if I, because practice is going to take care of the overtraining aspect. If I overtrain you, now I'm compounding an issue. So why are you going to cause an issue? So we do everything. I have the minimal effective dose with virtually everything that I do because the bottom line is what we do is secondary because it very, very, very seldom am, am I on the practice field with these guys, I'm, I'm never on the practice field with the professional level athletes because they're, you know, those practices are closed. Uh, very, very seldom am I on the practice field with them. So, and if I am, I can't do a lot of the coaching that needs to be done. I can't monitor or, or regulate any of the volumes or the intensities that are performed because that's just how practice is done. This is just how we do it. So I need to take the responsibility to be more, to be more responsible then, then someone has to give and it's going to be you it's not going to be them <laughs> exactly yeah. so circling all the way back why am i doing 40 percent load why are we worrying about all these different things so if we're doing foot exercises, we're doing hip exercises we're, do we're doing all these different aerobic exercises at low intensities why are we doing this because we're trying to instill proper motor patterns and proper function of movement at lower intensities so when they are exposed to higher intensities slowly but surely it yields the adaptation so because the human body is forgiving what happens when you rub your skin or you lift up a barbell every day you develop a callus so eventually these movements will will be a little more calloused they'll be stronger movements the connective tissues associated with those movements will strengthen and now all of a sudden your these are these become sports specific but you need to start slow. You need to start low on the totem pole before you work your way up. That's just how it, that's how it's going to go. If you imply, if you apply too much of a stimulus, 
the adaptation it'll, it could become a maladaptation. Meantime, it's just, it, all that needs to fluctuate is the intensity. So you, you know you, you you're going to get blisters rather than calluses. You you want to make sure you get calluses. Exactly. So exactly. is it fair to say that there's actually quite a lot of training monotony in the early stages of your prep because the the lower the intensity is the less difference there has to be between the high days and the low days, right? Totally. Totally. So and you're early actually, on you're, in training, you're going to no... wait until later down the line before you bring in the real, you know, big difference, you know, high day, low day, high day, low day, for example. Exactly. And that's what I was just going to say. Early on in training, it's all medium intensity anyway, you know, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Uh, early stages of GPP, I mean, Charlie, Charlie will do sprints and jumps on upper body days. Why? Because he's trying to disperse the intensity because he wants to keep everything medium intensity because he doesn't want to have the high low differences early on mm. because you need to, you need to build the work capacity. You need to, in order to appreciate the intensity it's it's like a transmutative phase intentional fatigue occurs oh, you know okay. so it's that's that's how you need to do things but you do it at a low enough intensity where you can recover and the reason why you can recover from it is because your level of preparation your physical preparation is so low that it's easy to recover from so think about it like someone someone that has never really done sprint work before or true speed work or never even went through one of your warm-ups and the warm-up becomes a workout well, if the warm-up is a workout, what's it going to say about the workout? So You probably yeah, don't need to do it. <laughs> exactly. So my guys, when my people first come in, my warm-up takes probably 45 minutes to an hour. And the first two or three sessions, they just spend slowly accumulating more and more and more of the warm-up. So we'll go the entire warm-up. We'll do step-overs, banded walks, uh, uh, the whole hip circuit, bunch of footwork. Then we'll do lunge, uh, lunge variations. Uh, the four-way scap, eight-way shoulder. By the time they finish just that and the Eldoa stretches, and by the time they finish that, they're exhausted day one. So then I go day one, day two, we'll do all that, and then I'll add in explosive throws at high volumes. Then day three, we'll do we'll do all that, explosive throws at high volumes, then submaximal jumps. Day four, submaximal jumps plus box jumps. And we're slowly accumulating the load. We're in an accumulation phase. We need to build the general work capacity. These guys can't do three sets of 10 lunges, three sets of 10 different shoulder exercises at low weight and, and, and be functioning properly. So it's irresponsible to have them do anything intensive. They need to earn intensive work. You know, they need to build up that reservoir of capacity in order to produce and reproduce powerful efforts. And a lot of it is because they have no idea how to move their body. The muscles associated with these specific movements are so hindered just because of uh, an example. We started doing stuff last year and I really didn't want to, but I started coaching some real young athletes. And it, there was the demand for it, and they were going to go somewhere, so it was irresponsible for me to send them somewhere else because I, I knew I could offer something better. So I, I coached a, a group of 10 eight-year-olds, right? What, when it came to restrictions, once these kids are adolescents, excuse me, once these kids are about 15, 16 years old, for, at four, 14 to 16 years old, their hips are all locked up. At eight years old, there's two areas of restriction, plantar fascia and thoracic and cervical fascia. That's it. Those are the only two areas of restriction. So what does that tell us? Our shoes are killing us and our posture is killing us. And then all the dysfunction gets sandwiched right in between it. So, yeah, yeah, with, with that population. I, I, and it was 10 kids. And then I, I, I think we've coached probably about 40, 48 year olds. And that was kids had hip issues as well, but no one had any other issue without those two issues. So our footwear, I walk around the gym barefoot 24 seven, like I'm barefoot more often than I'm, than not. And most of my athletes train barefoot unless we're doing intensive work. And uh, we, we forget the whole point of sneakers footwear. It's an ergogenic aid. It's an aid. It's, it's supposed to help performance, right? So if you're constantly taking steroids, all of a sudden steroids kind of stop working and you stop producing your own. So you now rely on your footwear for life. Like you can't walk on any substance without it hurting. Mm. That's, that's not how we were made. Like we, we developed calluses for a reason. And, and we wonder why all our athletes have flat feet. My best athletes have flat feet. Why? I, I, I've been saying this for 
for seven years now. The coolest athlete, the coolest, the, the best athletes are usually coolest kids. Coolest kids have the best footwear. Best footwear, the, the coolest looking sneakers are terrible. They're horrible for your feet. I mean, I used to walk around in Timberlands 24 <laughs> 7. You know, what an idiot. And my feet were flat. Now my arches are okay. But as a result, I had flat feet for years. Both, both labrum and my hip are torn. And meniscus and my knee are wearing down. So it's, there, there is a result for all this stuff and, and having poor movement quality and, and we're restricting ourselves. And as far as the thoracic and, and cervical, cervical fascia, I mean, that's posture. You know, these kids are slouching. And on top of that, we sit in a desk all day, kyphotic, protracted, forward head posture. And we text like that, too. So these kids are addicted to their phones and they, they're shitty learners. And we wonder why posture is bad. You know, it's there's there's so many there's so many things that interact with what it is that we do and the the real reason that things are really hitting the fa- that that shit is really hitting the fan. The underlying reason is movement and it starts from the ground up. If you have poor contact in between your foot and the ground, it's just going to disperse force poorly all the way up the chain. Mm. So if, if you have shitty feet, then you'll likely have shitty hips. And if you have shitty hips and shitty feet, guess what's weaker of those two? Guess what's weak in between those two? The knee. So yeah. we wonder why we have, you know, uh, any kind of knee problems, MCL, ACL, you know, PCL, LCL, meniscus. I've, I've seen everything. I mean, there, there are guys that total knee blowouts that if they just planted differently, it'd be fine. And they are incapable of planting differently because they're incapable of absorbing that force. I'm, I'm going to uh, switch subject on you again. You, you mentioned short to long. So you, you, can, you can dive in for, for more detail for people that aren't familiar with the concept. But basically the idea is, is that the, the high intensity actions in sport, they typically last around a certain duration if they're alactic efforts. And to, to progress to that in a, in a scalable, uh, progressive manner, you can either attack it from doing efforts which are shorter and then increasing the, the duration, or you can go for efforts that are longer and then decrease, and then eventually you get to that kind of intensity. How does what you've talked about tie in with that? How do you eventually build to that kind of stuff, and, and how, do you, how do you arrive at the end product that you're looking for? So the goal is to intensify the load, right? Mm-hmm. That's, 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 that's the goal with anything. With the, with the short to long approach, I mean, it's, you know, anyone that has their own private facility has to do the short to long approach, unless you're in a track and field facility. You have no other option. So the, the intensification of the load from accumulation to realization, right? It's slowly progressively, progressively, and Buddy hates the term progressive overload, but that's, that's life. We progressively overload, whether we like it or not. You know, you start at A and you go to B. And whether there were fluctuations in between, it doesn't matter. It's still progressive. Yeah. Um, the, the progressive overload of or the progressive intensification of everything is that's that's short to long. And that's you want to slowly intensify the load. So there's there's the ability to adapt. OK, so we'll go we'll go 10 yard sprints. We'll do that for until I see competency. It's all about competency and movement. That's why I base everything off of. So if we, too many people stimulate, adapt, this is damn path. Too many people stimulate, adapt, stimulate, adapt, stimulate, adapt, and we don't give any time to stabilize the adaptation, nor do we give enough time to actualize the adaptation. So I'd rather slow and steady and know that these people really know how to do stuff so we can intensify the load from there rather than just, hey, you know, it's we're just going to put the fucking put the jets on and I don't give a shit. We're just going to keep on adding, you know, we'll add the intake, we'll add the turbo. It doesn't matter. We're just going to keep adding more and more power with without, you know, the, the system being able to adapt to everything. So that's that's where the short to long approach is, is incredible because the higher the speeds, the more intensified the load becomes, the more force there is. So we. We don't intensify until they're capable of handling the the forces associated with the intensification. Did that answer the question? Yeah, it, it did. And 
how how would you do it for non locomotive efforts? So, for example, you know, like I've spoken to James and he said if SPP for your sport is typically running and dot 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 and whatever the dot 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 is is another moving pattern. So, for example, tackling. How how would you approach a short to long for for a non locomotive SPP? Well, you know, it comes down to the part whole approach, right? You if if what what are the reasons for doing a short to long approach? That's that's the question, right? Because of the intensification. So how are you going to simplify the movement, or how are you going to make it less intense? Well, you don't do the full movement, so okay. you do a you do a partial movement. There's that's one way of doing it. You need to. You can either do a partial range of motion with things. It's a part whole approach. It's how you teach people, right? You teach a squat. Um, you, you have them starting on a box, and you have them stand up. You have them do the last part of the squat because it gets them in the good position first. Rather than having them focus on the eccentric, you have them focus on the concentric. Um, you, you break the movement down into its simplest parts, or you, like I said before, you keep it lower in intensity. So you'll go ten percent. Then you'll go 20%. Then you'll go 30%. Then you'll go 40%. That's, I mean, it's, it, it's common sense in almost any other aspect of life except for sport. Yeah. How, how would you go about implementing that in a team environment? Because I, my, my belief is, is that when you start to talk about SPP, that's when you start to tread on toes of, of other coaches. So selfish question. How do you... How do you try and influence that progression within a team environment when you're working with other coaches? So the, the, tra- the goal of the transition is to, uh, or excuse me, the goal of training is to be able to transition into performance. So you need to take down all the movements in performance, right? All the drills that they'll do in practice. Then you simplify those drills, assuming that those drills are competent drills. Yeah. So... So what you can do is you take different aspects of all the drills. So if you have a guy running routes, what is the full intensity of the route? Then what's less intensity? Decide what the 90% of that intensity, the 80%, the 70%, and then break the route down into a simplest form. So you'll start, let's say week one, you'll start the first, first five meters of the route. So it's all about the start starting position. Then, you five meters plus deceleration. You teach them how to decelerate, right? So you teach them how to accelerate. You teach them how to decelerate from the route. Into the route, out to the route, out of the route. Easy. Then you start adding complexities to it. So you'll go into the route, do half of the route. Let's say there's three cuts in the route. Do one cut and make sure that they're doing that cut efficiently and make sure the movement mechanics, the landing mechanics, all the amortization mechanics, everything on top of everything. Everything is perfect in the shortest amount before you progress it. Then you make it more complex and then more complex and so on and so forth. So you add another cone and another cone and another cone and you keep it as simple as possible until they perform it well. Then once they perform it well routinely, you progress it. And before you know it, all your guys are running routes at high intensities really well. So it's almost quite an intuitive approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Could, could you do it the other way whereby... So, for example, if you were if you were going in to beat a defender, you would you would provide them with more kind of build up bef- before that cut. So that obviously the speed is going to be higher week by week as you increase the amount of distance that you allow them to build into it. Absolutely, absolutely. I, and and what you can also do is you could do tempo work too. This is extensive. So what I'll do is we'll do submaximal tempo. Well, excuse me, we'll do submaximal routes as forms of tempo work because we want to strengthen connective tissues associated with the cutting so they become more efficient, more stable, and safer when they're running their routes and become more efficient. So what we want to do is we'll, we'll perform it at about 75% and just make sure, or 75% or less, and they'll run all their routes at a low intensity and keep track of their heart rate. You don't want it to go above the anaerobic threshold. So the entire time, they're running routes at a low intensity, and they're getting all with perfect form. So you could go that way. You could say, hey, we're going to run all the routes the entire to the entirety at 50% this week. Next week, 55. Following week, 60, 70, 80, 90, and so on and so forth. And before you know it, you're intensifying the load that way. 
Yeah, I've, so I've, I've the... tried something similar with the with the the contact and combative efforts in in rugby. Um, I actually took the approach of three tempo sessions because if if you look at the SPP efforts of rugby, the backs is typically two to one sprinting to contact efforts, and then the forwards is two to one contact to sprinting. So we did one uh, running based tempo, one combative based tempo, and then the third they would specialize according to position. Yeah, that's. I mean, that as it, you're alternating the intensities on it, so it that's that's perfectly fine as well. You know, there's 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 a million and one different ways to do things, but the the application of what it is that you're doing is is pretty important to make sure that you're fluctuating the load mm. at certain times of year. You don't want these guys going 100 percent all the time because that's dangerous. Yeah. You know, it's to to be able to as as long as you like I said, fluctuate the intensities or alternate the intensities and you do it responsibly with the volume it's, and the movement is proper, it's, it's a can't miss. It really, there, there's really no, no disputing it that one way is better than the other at this point because it's all the same in concept. The concepts are exactly the same. It's just the, the specific application of the concept might be a little different between person to person and that's the important thing to understand. You know, more than... More than one way to skin a cat. Food for thought, brother. Um, <laughs> where, where can people find you online? Uh, freakstrength.com. And my Instagram is at freakstrength. My personal Instagram is at guadango. Same thing with Twitter, at freakstrength, at guadango. Or you could follow me on Facebook. And shameless plug, you've got an ebook out right now about uh, Chris Hogan, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, I've been getting so many emails as to, oh, what are you doing with Hogan? What are you doing with Hogan? Because I, I originally took all my products off my page because I just don't want to be bothered. I, I don't want to sell anything. I don't want to do anything. But I've been getting so many emails about it. I certainly don't want to give anything away. If I can make money on it, I say, oh, I'll just put in the extra effort. Yeah. So if, if I'm going to do it, I'll do it right. So I, I do have an ebook uh, on Hogan's preparation from this year. And I have an ebook available. It's an old ebook, but I, I re released it. Uh, from I think 2014, so 2014 ebook and a 2017 ebook on Hogan's preparation. Uh, available on the website. Uh, available at freakstrength.com. Happy days, man! Thanks very much for this. I appreciate it, bro. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. Thanks, man.